Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. We are going to have a fun episode for you today. We are going to break down the Super Bowl teams, what we can learn as Jets fans and the Jets in general from those teams to replicate success. You always want to uh, replicate the best. That's the best way to progress in this league is to see what works and try and copy it as best you can, uh, as well as doing your own thing. But before we get into that, we got some pretty big news that came out just this morning, and that is that the Jets are going to have a competition at left tackle uh, officially. Mackay Becton and George Fant will be competing for the job, according to Robert Sala. Uh, it's a little interesting as to why they said this now during the Senior Bowl in January, kind of tipping their hand at their plans. Um, I'm still kind of figuring out my thoughts on it. So, Matt, I'm going to let you have the floor here. What are you thinking about this news and what does it say for the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The timing was a little weird. I feel like this is something that probably could have come down the line, like around May sometime after the draft when things have settled down, maybe once uh, players are getting back into the, the office a little bit for training and uh, OTAs, even a little bit further down the line. Uh, it, it's such a weird thing that they would just throw out there now. Uh, so that leads me to believe that there's a reason why they're doing it now. And I am firmly in the camp that that reason is Fant. Uh, I feel like they want, to maybe extend Fant, or they want to maybe avoid any contract troubles with Fant, uh, because Fant's just coming off of one of the, or it, it definitely coming off of the best season of his career. No doubt. And right now, he probably has all the leverage in the world to maybe try to profit off of that, uh, especially if there is the possibility that he would be going back to right tackle. Uh, because right tackle, he didn't look that great. He played a season there uh, before us and didn't look that great. Uh, he started off the, the first game of the season at right tackle and didn't look that great. But then as soon as he made it over to the left tackle, boom, it's like it snapped right into place. Uh, he felt he looked at home and he it looks like he felt at home. So I believe he wants to stay at left tackle. And the fact that they're saying that it's going to be an open competition between him and Mackay leads me to believe that they want him to feel comfortable thinking that he can go into camp knowing that he could win that role. So it sort of takes away any, any uh, holdout uh, argument if he's able to retain that position. Uh, so I think it's mostly to do with that. Uh, I think a lot of people out there are using this as a chance to dig at, at Becton, uh, which it can be sort of, the fact that it's an open competition with the guy that we just took in the first round last year uh, is not saying the best things for JD, although maybe it's saying uh, a lot of good things about where this team is going in general, right? We have the first yeah. round pick Becton and they're not afraid to put him in a competition, a competition. They're not afraid to say, Hey, you know what? Uh, 
we're going to have the best uh, people at, at the at the positions that we have available. And if he wants that, he needs to win it. And I'm all for competition. I think that competition uh, breeds success. So I I am firmly in the camp that this is going to be a good thing. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, I'm not as positive that it's a good thing as you are. And the okay. only what reason I'm saying that is, and you alluded to it quite honestly, is your first round pick from two years ago doesn't have his job secured and he didn't lose it because he was benched. He got hurt. So what my thought process is, what happened between September week one when Mekhi Becton goes down and George Fant slides over to left tackle and now that makes you discouraged enough in Mekhi Becton where you are happy potentially with moving him over to the right side and disrupting his development. And Becton has played right tackle before he played some in uh, college at Louisville. So it's not going to be too unfamiliar for him, but as you have just said with George Fant, and as we've now seen firsthand, that switch can matter and it can be a lot harder for guys going to one side or the other. So I think you're partially right with the fact that this is more about George Fant and that they're trying to keep him happy. Cause we've said for a while now that, we think there's a chance that he could want to stay on the left side and want to hold out. And it could be a problem. We've talked about the potential of trading him more than once on this show before. And it could be that that is happening and that George fan is very much being adamant to the fact that I played really well at left tackle. And I really don't want to go back because I played so well here, which for him as a player, that's what he should do. And that's what I said the whole time is that for George fan as a player, the smartest thing he can do is petition to play at left tackle and argue for a raise for how good he just played. So if they're trying to keep him happy, I get that. But this is so early. You you have the entirety of free agency. You have the entirety of the draft. There are options that you can make on this team. You can use your assets to address the tackle position and not even really have to worry about this problem. And that's kind of why my thought process was trade fan because you can recoup some assets for him. You're not just going to lose him outright uh, in free agency in a year if you don't re-sign him, or you're not going to have to pay him more than maybe you were hoping to pay him. Um, You can get some assets back, and you can add one of these incredibly talented tackles in the draft that we've been raving over in our group chat uh, the last handful of days. I know you're a big Charles Cross fan. I was getting him into him a little bit last night. I can see why you like him. He's a dancing bear with his mirror and match and pass pro. Uh, I love Evan Neal. Uh, Ikim Ikwanu is another guy that's an absolute bully. You know, there's some guys in the, the later rounds that we like. There's there's options. And it's just really curious to me why they're saying this now. And the only reason I can come up with with why they're saying this now is they're unhappy with Becton. And I hate to say that. I, I wish that wasn't the case because I don't believe that, quite honestly, that's very fair to be down on a guy who got injured, who was playing. Mackay Becton was, we were heard in camp that he wasn't playing as well. He was also going against Carl Lawson, who everyone was saying was eating everybody alive. So mm-hmm. are we going to, are we going to hold that to Mackay saying, oh, he didn't look as great in camp, but Carl Lawson looked fantastic. And we didn't get to see what Carl Lawson looked like against anybody else. I think this might be a situation where, like what you said, competition is going to beat out all. And Robert Sala is going to play the best guys regardless of anything else. And there is something to that, and I do respect that. And I hope at the end of the day, that's what it is. But what has Mekhi Becton done or not done to make that spot in jeopardy for him where George Fant, as great as George Fant played, all season, they never mentioned anything about Mackay potentially moving back. If there was when we all thought Mackay Becton was going to come back in the middle of the year, everyone assumed George Fant was going to go back to the right side. He won the right tackle job. He beat Morgan Moses. That's what everyone assumed. So what changed now? And you know what I think the answer is, Matt, to be mm-hmm. quite honest with you, Morgan Moses is leaving. I don't think he's staying on this team. So they know they don't have that ace in the hole as the backup to where if they need someone to be a right tackle, they're more comfortable with Becton than they are with Fant. On top of that, if you're choosing between Fant and Becton, who you're going to piss off, you can afford to unfortunately piss Becton off a little bit because you have contract control with him a lot easier than you do with Fant. 
it's going to be a lot easier for Fant to go in and ask for a holdout or ask for a raise and uh, hold out, like we've said, than Becton is. Becton's under control for the next three plus years with the tag as well as the first round uh, fifth year option. So from the, their perspective, I think Moses is gone. Otherwise, you he's an easy resign, and this doesn't become an issue whatsoever. Because then the option is, if they resign Moses and they're still competing, are you going to bench Makai outright? I don't think that's a possibility. That's why I think Moses is gone. So Moses, I think, is gone, and they're more comfortable upsetting Makai than they are upsetting Fant because Fant has better leverage. That that's all I can see from this. Outside mm. of something is going on with Makai that we don't know. Quite honestly, this doesn't make any sense. The timing doesn't make any sense. The I understand Fant played great, and I'm not trying to discount anything about him or his play. He deserves all the praise he's getting, and he would deserve to walk into Joe Douglas's office and demand a raise and to stay at left tackle. He's earned it. But Makai Becton didn't get benched. He got mm. hurt. And there is a huge difference there. And yes, people can get Wally Pipped. I know that happens. But this is not a situation where for the future of your team, you have to pay George Fant top tackle money like now. Like if, if you're going to keep him and he's going to stay your left tackle and he continues to be great, now you got to pay him immediately. The good thing about Makai Becton and why you took him in the first round and why that was the Jets strategy was to draft a tackle is you have a guy that can grow. You can have financial control over him for years before you have to worry about giving him top tackle money. What if George Fant gets this top tackle money and in two years he isn't playing as well as he is right now and he's got this huge extension? Well, you're you're stuck with that. I, I just I am very confused. And that's all I can say. I don't think you need to pay him that now. I think, especially with this news, you don't have to pay him now. I think you go to him and tell him, you know what? We're going to make this a competition. And if you win, we'll extend you then. Because then you've earned it. Now you've earned this spot. You've earned this extension money. There it is. And let's say he loses. Maybe this competition is all about showing that Becton is the guy that we knew know that he can be when he puts it all to on the line. And at that point, it's like, all right, well, we Fant had the inside track and Becton was just incredible and took the spot back for himself. And at that point, now you have high stock in, in Fant. I don't think Moses is a guarantee to be gone. I think they're going to do everything they can to bring him back just so they have that safety net. They need a safety net. They can't I agree. go they can't go into out of they can't come out of the free agency and the draft without a safety net. And Moses is probably the easiest uh, uh safety net that they can uh find right now. So I I think they they try to bring him back no matter what. They do this this uh, song and dance or not song and dance at all? It's it's no, it's a, a real song. Competition. No, it's a song and dance. Quite honestly, right now, saying it in January, it's a song and dance because they're not doing any OTAs, they're not doing any organized team activities. There's nothing mm-hmm. that these guys can do officially to to compete to sit there and say that they're physically competing. That's why the timing of this makes no sense because it is a song and dance. I'm sorry, and not to interrupt you or, or to to go off on a tangent, but oh, you no, say no. this in in May. I get it. Now you're in OTAs. Now you're seeing them up close. Now you've been through your team. You've you've made your acquisitions. You've had your plan and you've executed it. You're saying this in January. What can these guys even compete on? They're not even in the building. Well, maybe the song and dance isn't even about any of the players that we have. And it's more about the draft and more about playing on the like fact that. that, hey, maybe the Jets are looking tackle. And because the quarterback class is not very good, Maybe they want to play up these guys a little bit more to for a trade back. If that is the case, I would hope that George Fan as well as Mackay Becton have been informed of that from the beginning and oh, yeah, have made absolutely. very, very aware that this is not something that is in all actuality real and that this is just a smokescreen for draft purposes. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense why you say it in January. That's the only reason it makes sense other than that. Because I, 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 yeah, and then, not to interrupt you, but I, I think that they do know because I think Salah is a straight shooter. Uh, I, I think, think so JD too. is a straight shooter. I think they very well know that this was happening before they mentioned anything. And by the looks of it, uh, is, uh, Becton's been working with a nutritionist. Right. So the fact that he's putting in the effort to lose some weight that leads me to believe that he's been very much aware of the concerns from the the brass of the team 
uh, in his weight and his ability to come back. So I, I, I don't think it's, it's a surprise to anybody other than maybe the fans. Yeah, I can see that. And, you know, there were the reports earlier in the year that they were unhappy with his weight and unhappy with his progression. And he saw that he ended up missing the entire year after what was originally diagnosed as an eight week injury. So obviously when it takes twice as long as you expect, there's going to be some questions there, but I'm going to rest back on the fact that this was a knee injury. And when you are a man that is as large as Mackay Becton is, that it is hard to rehab and stay in football shape when you're rehabbing a knee injury without either a re-aggravating that knee injury or B not doing enough to not add extra weight. So I'm, I hope, and this is why I would hope that the jets, like what you're saying, Robert Sala and Joe Douglas are straight shooters. I agree. I don't think that whether this competition is real or not. And I lean towards the fact that it is and and not that it isn't, but Mm -hmm. whether it is or isn't, I agree that they definitely told both of these players beforehand. And I would sure hope so. I would bet from everything we've seen that's the case. And if not, then the Jets got issues. Um, But I'm looking at this from the situation of, as of right now, assuming they don't add another tackle, assuming that they don't, assuming Moses leaves and assuming they don't draft one, and their two tackles are going to be Fant and Becton. You're having two guys train all camp for left tackle, and then right at the end, one of them's going to have to switch. And look what it did to Fan. Yeah, that I don't like that as much. Uh, having right. to switch somebody mid off season, uh, right. especially Becton, who hasn't played in a year. So right. So, if- are you going to have him come back and have him compete for left tackle and train a left tackle and get comfortable again with his stance and his sets after not playing for a year, and then at the last second switch him over to the other side? That that That's, doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So if Becton loses this jo- loses his competition, does he get benched? If the Jets add another tackle, if they re-sign Moses and he competes with Bant, does Becton get benched in year three? Is that a scenario we're facing right now? I hate to even be mentioning that because I don't want to be the guy trashing on Becton. I'm a huge believer in him, and I think he's going to come back strong. Quite honestly, I think he's going to win this job. I think it's going to motivate him, and I think he's going to be the monster that we know he can be. But in the event that that doesn't happen, and the Jets, like you're saying, get a safety net, we agree they need one, and they go out and get another dedicated right tackle or bring back Moses, is he just going to get benched? That's a good question. I, I think they need to hedge their bets no matter what, because there are reports that he ballooned up to almost 400 pounds by the end of the season, which is incredibly dangerous. He's not playing even just at like, 370, though, so that's not far off. That's still... I'm not saying like that's in, good, but I mean, you got to look at where he's starting from, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a 30-pound... I, I, I get it. He was injured, and it's a lot easier to, to put on weight. Uh, but at the same time, he that's it shows like a, a lack of discipline as well, uh, because I feel like there are ways to mitigate that. So and, and I feel like a lot of that probably had also influenced his ability to get back on the field this year was his inability to control his weight during the injury. I'm sure that that had something to do with it. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not going to be the ultimate Mikai Becton defender in everything. Cause I agree that there definitely is some parts that he had his hand in and that the jets are the type of organization. I believe that they wouldn't be doing this unless they had reason. So I'm not going to counter anything that you're saying on that end. It's just weird timing. It doesn't make sense with what I think their plan was for the future of their team. And they got to like, they got to love Fant. They got to really, really love Fant to be willing to potentially bench their first round draft pick after one full year of play. Not even because he missed some time as a rookie too. So less than a full year of play there and going into year three, they got to really be high on Fant to be willing to bench that guy that they were head over heels for. So I'm, I agree. it's an interesting situation. It's going to be interesting to watch what they do. Uh, throughout the offseason, I think what they do in the offseason will tell us what is is going to be the case. If Morgan Moses walks, one of those guys is your right tackle. If Morgan Moses is brought back, this is a smokescreen. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah, I could see them maybe not bringing Moses back, but then drafting a guy in the second or third round to sort of be that developmental right tackle. So then that gives the 
the window for Fant or or Becton to move back over, or even trade Fant. I don't. Yeah. They, they could do a couple things there. Uh, so they're going to give themselves uh, as much uh, rope to hang themselves with, uh, and uh, it always works do. out. Uh, I, I, I truly don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm very uh, this this whole tackle situation has been like itching the back of my brain for a while now because it's yeah at the at one side we have Fant who's really come on and showed that he could be uh, a true left tackle for us uh, while at the same time then we have Becton so it's 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 definitely a dual edged sword here uh, so yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, yeah, definitely will. This is um, one hell of a way to start the Jets offseason. I'll say that yeah. much, uh, is to go ahead and have this news drop. Uh, let's get into something a little more fun. Let's go ahead and get talking to these Super Bowl teams. The Bengals and the Rams officially are set to play in the Super Bowl. Uh, this is the second year in a row that a team will be playing for the Super Bowl in their home stadium after it never happened in the history of the Super Bowl and the 50-plus years before that, which I think is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So let's break this down. What can the Jets learn from these two teams that are in the Super Bowl? First and foremost, I think the number one thing to look at is to trust this offensive scheme. Trust the Shanahan, McVay, et cetera, offense, because you got two teams in the Super Bowl and three of the final four teams uh, in the championship games that all run variations of this offense. Zach Taylor was on Sean McVay's staff. He was his quarterback coach for a year uh, before he became the Bengals head coach. He's running that same sort of offense. Obviously, you have Sean McVay himself. Um with the Rams, Kyle Shanahan was with the 49ers and his offense in the NFC championship game and the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes do their own thing because they're the chiefs and they're the only team that can do that. But three of the last four teams were running the same offense. The jets are already running with personnel and people calling plays and scheming this uh, offense, offensive scheme that have taught people that the jets are have on their staff. Michael Floor has been around with Kyle Shanahan. He's obviously, he's been around Sean McVay. He's, I'm sure he knows Zach Taylor. These, this is the same offense. And we've seen that even though it's permeated around the league to the point where teams kind of know what's happening, it's still effective and it's still functioning and it's still working and getting teams that are getting into the playoffs all the way into the Super Bowl to the point where both teams are going to know each other's offenses. They're basically the same scheme on both of these teams. There's just variations of what they do with their personnel and the little wrinkles that each coach is going to throw in. But at their core, this is the same offense and it's the same offense the Jets run. I think that's a good sign. That's a very good sign. Uh, but it really comes down to the personnel, though, that we have and that these teams have. When I Absolutely. compare what we have compared to the Rams. The Rams have Akers, Cup, uh, Odell, Higby, Jefferson. They have a plethora. Carol Everett's of, sneaky of, good, too. And Carol Everett. So it, it, you've got a, a bunch of guys here. And uh, then you look at the Bengals. They have ooh, they have T- Higgins, Chase. Uh, and they, they, Tyler they, Boyd, one of the most underrated Boyd. players in the NFL. So it, it, Joe Mixon at running look, back. Mixon, uh, everywhere you look, you got talent. And then you got to look at where the quarterbacks are. Uh, Burrow, of course, is he's uh, kind of got that uh, that dynamic ability that Zach has. When it comes to when the play breaks down, he yep. can still make plays on the move. Uh, he did that against the Chiefs. He looked very comfortable under pressure, and he was under pressure. It's his a best lot. trait, no it's doubt. His, best his, trait. Yeah. his pocket presence is is elite of the elite. It's it's unreal how good he is at avoiding pressure, seeing where people are coming from, keeping mm-hmm. his eyes downfield. He is an assassin. I love Joe Burrow. He's he's amazing, and it 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 shows that how valuable that can be, uh, especially when going against a quarterback like Mahomes or Ad or uh, Josh Allen. Uh, these are gods uh, at quarterback yeah. right now. And the only way to beat them is to be a god yourself. So Zach needs to get on their level, needs to get on Burrow's level, needs to get on Mahomes' level in his pocket presence, his comfort in, on the move, and making these tough throws. Uh, and he definitely has that capability. It's the reason why we drafted him over maybe a Mac Jones, uh, is because he has this potential to be that kind of guy. Uh, so we need to keep building the talent around him and he needs to keep developing himself and maybe be a little bit more like, uh, uh, 
oh my god, like Stafford, uh, and sort of take what's given to him. Stafford doesn't have the same arm that he used to. That showed in that almost uh, interception that he threw to to Tart. He just can't get under it the same way that he used to. So, yeah, I but, mean, when you could throw it 65 yards beforehand, getting it to 58 still not bad, but still not bad. But it was still severely underthrown and could have cost them the game. Uh, but at the same time, what he did best that game was taking what was given to him. He would do the the dump offs to Acres or to Sony Michelle, uh, and he would take the whatever Cup can give him. Like he he wasn't really making these dynamic throws every single play. He was taking whatever the 49ers were giving him and he had great success with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you hit on it perfectly. The two things that, that I was going to mention after the offensive scheme itself were the abundance of skill talent that both of these guys, uh, both of these teams have. And then the quarterbacks, um, they are the catalysts that make everything go. That's why the Rams, when they added Matt Stafford, that's why they made the trade. That's why they got rid of Jared Goff because they knew that they had this offense and they've added some skill talent since they've added Odell Beckham, of course, but they had Robert Woods before then who was plenty good in his own right. Mm-hmm. The only reason they added Odell was because they lost Robert Woods. Um, and they've had running backs. You know, I loved Cam Akers when he was coming out. He was, I think, my running back for that year, but he, I honestly probably should have made him even higher. Um, I had him above Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, that year because I just, I've envisioned not to go off on a tangent, but if you put Clyde Akers, uh, if you put Clyde Edwards Hilaire at Florida State and you put Cam Akers at LSU, that Cam Akers would have had a better year than Clyde Edwards Hilaire did. And Clyde Edwards Hilaire wouldn't have had nearly close to the year Akers did at FSU. Um, Anyway, yeah, they got talent <laughs> and the, the skills out there is absolutely real and it's deep. Uh, so I think you have to invest and continue to add to it. The Jets have some skill talent already and it's good. It's not good enough. They need more, um, whether that's through the free agency, through free agency or the draft or both. They really got to add some more playmakers to this offense and give Zach Wilson as much help as he can in hopes that that will help him ascend and take the next steps himself to really unlock these skill guys and let it be a symbiotic relationship um offense is winning in the nfl right now that's how it's been it's how it's been for years and we continue to see it that offenses are going to win and you need a talented offense that can score at will to keep yourself in games uh, and even give yourself a chance let alone with the scheme the jets run on defense the scheme on defense works better with you're playing with a lead it lets the pass rushers pin their ears back they don't have to worry about the run game nearly as much that's how this entire team is supposed to be built explosive offense and then suffocating aggressive defense behind it. Uh, You got to have skill talent to do that. And you got to have a quarterback that can absolutely make things happen and and make plays when things break down and stay comfortable under pressure. Let's hope Zach can, can progress to do that. I say, give him help to do that. The number one way to give him help is you got to be aggressive in the trade market. We've seen what the Rams have done uh, what they have added, just not giving a F about any of their first round picks whatsoever. Uh, I'm not suggesting we do that, but we have to look at what the Jets have in terms of assets. They have two first round picks. They have two second round picks that are both in the top 40. Uh, I believe they have five in the top 75 overall, or in the top 70 rather. They have a ton of ammo. They have a bevy of cap space and free agency with room to grow with some uh, interesting cuts that they could make if they decide to do some, some different vet moves and change some players in different spots. The Jets have about as much, if not more ammo for this upcoming off season than any other team in the league. There is no better time to be aggressive and make a trade for an ascending playmaker. And this, I don't know if this would happen. I don't know if the Washington now Washington commanders uh, as of today would be interested in this trade whatsoever. Quite honestly, I don't think they would. And if I was GM, I might actually give up more than it would take to get it done because I'm that big of a believer in this guy. But what would it take to get Terry McLaurin? Would it take pick number 10? Because I think I'd give up pick number 10 and add an all-star wide receiver that's already polished, that's already knows what he's doing, that can win at all levels of the field, that can do everything that we want any of our receivers to do, that's going to work great with Elijah Moore as a counterpart, that can sub in with Corey Davis on the slot, outside, etc. What would it take to get him? That's just unrealistic. We already did dream off seasons, and I wish <laughs> I could have put this one in, but but go make a trade like that. The you know The Bills, they went out and they sent a first round pick to the Vikings for Stephon Diggs. And I don't think anyone in Buffalo regrets it one bit. 
I don't think anyone in Buffalo is upset with that whatsoever. They saw that their young quarterback needed a go-to star guy. And the Jets think they drafted one at Elijah Moore. Go have two. Go add another one. I, I would say with all this ammo that you have, it would be almost a disservice not to add an impact veteran that you know is going to be a sure thing with some of this ammo that you have. It seems like it seems almost too likely to happen to me, quite honestly. Here's the thing. I don't think it really needs to happen, though, because we're t- right now I'm looking at a pretty decent wide receiver group in free agency. Uh, so I would at least want to go that route first and see, hey, well, let's see what happens to Devontae Adams. Do you want to give all that money, though, when you already have Corey Davis, though, on 13 plus mil per year? That's yeah, kind of why he's... I lean towards the trade, because Terry McLaurin's making less than like like nine hundred thousand dollars next year is his cap it. But how many more years does Corey Davis have guaranteed before we can actually cut him? Maybe just next year. And then I think we can cut him after next year. So whether we're paying big for a guy this year, I don't think Corey Davis's contract will really play into it that much. Uh, especially if we can get out of it. So maybe not a Devontae Adams, but maybe we can go the next tier down. And maybe a Godwin, maybe a Christian Kirk, maybe Odell Beckham Jr. We, there's other avenues we can go and still get a guy that is a top-notch uh, guy that can play right next to Moore and right next to Davis and, and be that guy. Yeah, no, I feel that completely. And if they were to sign one of those guys in free agency, I wouldn't be upset with it at all. But the reason I lean towards a trade is because it gives you financial control longer. Even if it's an extra year, that extra year can matter. And it can really matter when you get into contract structures for how future years go, where a lot of times future years, um, especially in two and three year deals, end up being more expensive than the first year. So if you're going to uh, sign a guy in free agency, you're going to have all that money on the books for this year, next year, and probably at least the year after that, at least somewhat, unless it's a three year deal like we saw Joe Douglas do, in which case maybe it'll just be two years. But if you trade for a guy, you can push that back a year. And so if you are going to cut Corey Davis, then by the time you're paying this next receiver that you bring in, you've already cut Corey Davis. Now you're not paying them both at the same time. And you free up your flexibility in other areas to add another spot to the team because there's other places on this team that still need work. This is not like the Jets are one player away. Go make the trade for it. I'm looking at it as the Jets are rebuilding, but they're trying to round the corner and that they think if they can have their quarterback ascend, that they can really do some damage. So go give him a go-to target. We've seen it work before, and I, I'm confident that it can work for this team. Oh, absolutely. But also, if they're concerned about cap in the future, the best way to save money and still address the position is to just look towards the draft. There's still about six to seven guys uh, that could go in the first or second round that I would love on this team that I think would be perfect additions and would add that second go-to guy next to more, whether it's Garrett Wilson, uh, Traylon Burks, John Dotson, uh, Jameson Williams, Drake London, uh, Olave. You have your pick of, of guys, even uh, Romeo Dubs from yep. uh, Nevada. Yeah, that's my guy. So there's still a number of of avenues they can go, even if they don't land somebody in free agency. And then even after that, if they still come away wanting, then I think they can make a trade because who knows what the, what the, our draft situation is going to be like in 2023. Maybe we trade back and get more picks for next year. So there's always a possibility for making trades even after the draft. Yeah, I could definitely see after the draft happening too. If they do trade back and they get some future assets, they get maybe another future one for next year. I could definitely see them doing that as like a a July trade uh, sort of deal that would happen. It wouldn't surprise me too much, but I'm kind of in the camp that you do both. You you go and you make your move and you get your go-to guy and you draft somebody in the middle rounds uh, because they need depth at receiver too. Because you're looking at Corey Davis doesn't seem hopefully Corey Davis is is long for a future on this team. But as of right now, we're assuming he's going to be gone after next year. So he's out. Denzel Mims, we have no faith in at this moment. So that's not likely to happen in the future. Jeff Smith is a backup. We're waiting to see if Braxton Berrios gets re-signed. We hope he does, but he's still just more of a slot guy. I don't think as good as he is, I don't think he's ever going to play on the outside. And that's nothing against him. That's just not what he does. So that limits you guys on the outside. So you got Elijah Moore as your future on the outside, and you, you need some more some more skill talent. 
you need some more guys here. So if you go and trade for somebody, I wouldn't be shocked to see them use one of their uh, use pick 69 on a, on a receiver as well. If they get a big guy in the trade, they can wait a little longer and get someone a little further down. The receiver class is loaded, like you said. So there could be guys that could be available. I'm end point to wrap this all up. This team needs weapons. Mm -hmm. They're not done with what they have. They need more. And this offseason should be used to give Zach Wilson as much help as possible. It is still all about Zach Wilson. It's still all about him and making sure that he gets to the point that we need him to be as a successful quarterback. And if that happens, then everything else should fall into place. If that means you do it by being aggressive with trades or through, through free agency or the draft or et cetera, or a combination, do it. However you have to do it, do it. Make sure that this kid has as much help around him as possible. And not just weapons uh, in the air or on the ground, but also along that offensive line. Because right. still, there's still so many question marks like we've already talked about for the first half of the show with uh, the tackles. But then yeah. there's still a center. Uh, do they want to continue with uh, McGovern? Uh, and then there's right guard. Who knows what's happening there? So there's still there's still positions of need along that line. Uh, I don't want him to be like Burrow running for his life. Every other play. No. Uh, I would like him to only need to do that uh, sparingly. Uh, so I, I would, I would prefer if he's more like Stafford uh, than Burrow, but uh, I, I, with Burrow's ability. So, so yeah, there, there's definitely things that we can do to improve and they're going to need to do them. We can't be complacent. Yeah, I'm going to add in one uh, thing we can not learn from the Super Bowl teams before we get to our last thing that we can learn from the Super Bowl teams. And that is that Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase is a special situation that you cannot replicate and drafting a tackle still would have been the right move. Mm-hmm. Like just yep. like Joe, the Bengals offensive line was still not good. Joe Burrow was sacked like 50 plus times this year. And he's so good in the pocket that he was able to overcome it. And Jamar chase is a great player. Never nothing against him whatsoever. They're going to be a great duo forever, but they already had years of chemistry playing together. They were already familiar. That's took development that they didn't have to catch up with in the NFL. And Joe Burrow is a special talent at avoiding pressure. So not everyone is Joe Burrow and not everyone is going to be Jamar Chase who knows Joe Burrow. So if you're in a situation like the Jets, where I just said, add skill talent, I agree. You have this ammo. You can make your trade. Like I said, the 10th pick, fourth pick, if the offensive lineman is there and the board falls that way, I agree. You got to beef up the offensive line too. Um, that's going to lead to our last point of what we can learn from these teams. And that's to the defensive side of the ball. It's not all about the offense, but I think the one thing that stands out with both of these rosters is that they have guys that are impact players on the defensive line and in the secondary, Mm -hmm. not that their linebackers are, are completely, completely useless, but their star players on their defense are up front and in the back end. You look at the Rams, they have Aaron Donald, they traded for Von Miller. Greg Gaines is another one of the most underrated players in the NFL club. He goes, Goes right up there uh, at nose tackle. Sebastian Joseph Day has been a good interior guy for them. I'm pretty sure they still have Michael Brockers. They got a ton of talent up front. And then you go into the back end in the secondary. Obviously, you got Jalen Ramsey. Um, and he's the lead dog back in as the, the star talent in the back end. That's where their star guys are. Their two best players being Donald and Ramsey being one up front, one in the back end. You look at Cincinnati, it's very similar. Uh, They spent a lot of money for Trey Hendrickson, who's had a good year, a good year for them. Uh, He's been playing well in the playoffs as well. Um, Who's their uh, DJ reader? Is that their three tech? Uh, There's BJ Hill uh, and DJ reader. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't know if I had his name right, but yeah, DJ reader is a fantastic three tech. Uh, It's a really good interior guy. BJ Hill is another guy in the interior is really good. And then in the back end, it's the same sort of thing. Jesse Bates made the game clinching play uh, to get the turnover against the, the Chiefs to send the Bengals uh, back on offense and let them drive down the field and kick a field goal to go to the go to the Super Bowl. I've raved about wanting him for a while now, uh, so that's another one. He's going to be in another guy in free agency. The Bengals have more cap space than I realized, which makes me think that there's a chance that he could get re-signed and or tagged. Um, mm-hmm, likely, but. But if in the event that he does shake free, just give Jesse Bates all of the money in the world and be happy with it. Um, that's the, that's where these teams win. They win in the back end and they win up front. And I think defensively, the Jets want to replicate that. And I think that's a good sign where a lot of these things for what we're saying of what can you learn? It seems like the Jets know already. And I couldn't I'm honestly pretty pleased with that. Oh, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. And yeah, you've said many times that in order to make this defense work, 
we need studs at all three levels. Uh, like the, yeah. the Seahawks, they had studs. Yeah, they everywhere. were a special case. They are, they were a, not to cut you off really quick, but the Seahawks are a special case. You cannot replicate the Seattle Seahawks from 2013 to 2016. They had like five hall of famers and 11 pro bowlers start for them <laughs> over three of those four years. That's never going to happen again. That's like, that's, it's a completely insane group of talent that they had. Uh, playing on that defense over for a handful of years. And they had all pro hall of fame players at multiple levels. Sorry, not to, yeah. not to cut you off, but yeah, that's, <laughs> you can't do it and you shouldn't be aiming to. No, they'll, they'll do something in their own right. That will look different, but have similar vibes. Uh, and yes, they want to start up front with the pass rush. They don't want to have to blitz. They don't want to have to send five or six guys every play. And like the Bengals and the Rams, they didn't have to. They would. I, I saw the Bengals sending three a lot, uh, and just keeping a spy on Mahomes because they want to drop people in the coverage and confuse the quarterback. They want him to have to run. Uh, so if they if they they could do what the Bengals did to Mahomes in the second half, they would consider that a win. Uh, and the Rams, they just have that much talent up front where they don't need to send blitzing blitzers that often. No. And they can let their dominant secondary really kind of just be ball hawks and make plays on the ball. Uh, so, yeah, it all starts up front. And But the, what, what I'm thinking about with the Jets, though, is how many pieces do they need to get their front four to where these guys are? We have Quinnen. We have uh, Lawson. But we're not, we're not exactly sure how Lawson's going to be. Uh, I think we still have Rankins next year. We got Franklin Myers. How do we do? We we still need that one one more piece. I think at least one more dominant piece. I agree. Uh, to to be even close to the level as those two teams. Uh, and we're talking about Johnson a lot from uh, Florida State, who right now is tearing it Talk up about at the it. Bowl. Talk about it. And uh, you, you've had him as one of your top edges for a while. I, it took me a little bit longer to get on board, but I am firmly, I firmly believe he's my number three edge. You probably, you're, I think he's your number two edge now. He overtook uh, Carl Loftus. Yep. Yeah, I, I definitely. And we were talking today. Hey, is it really that unthinkable to say, Hey, why don't we take him at four? And I'm fine with it. I think yeah, I'm fine with it as well. I would, I would love that if, if he's there at four, I would not complain at all. And I think after Saturday, uh, I think a lot of people are going to have that same point of view. Yeah, uh, that's a good way to end kind of to, to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, not to be <laughs> uh, not to be that way. But, you know, sometimes when you're right, you got to call it out. We've been preaching about this dude for a while now. As soon as I turned on his tape, he blew me away. This is a guy that I want to be very clear about. And again, I started with it. This is a guy. So just again, buckle up. It's draft season. That's how it's going to be. Jermaine Johnson is the type of player that people sleep on, not because his tape is bad. His tape is top five worthy. It is. His tape is that good. It's not like this is something where we're seeing a projection. No, this guy is that good on tape. But he's been overshadowed by Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau and George Karloftis. They have drowned out the media all year. This is a guy who didn't play much. He was at Georgia, didn't play many games at Georgia, uh, was a transfer from literally last chance U. Before that, this is all stuff we said last week when we did our Senior Bowl um, fantasy draft, and you took him first overall. Uh, this is a player that is an athletic freak, that is technically refined, um, that is aggressive, that is smart, that plays with an attitude, that has serious strength in his punches. There's not a lot of things he does wrong. There, there really isn't. And I think he's that good blend of he's got room to grow and he's already athletic and you're seeing the ceiling to where he's really, really good and he can get better. And then you remember that he's only started 16 career games in college and he's this technically refined. And you're saying, oh, he took to coaching that well and he's only started this this many games. He got his first chance to be a starter this past year at FSU and he won ACC Defensive Player of the Year. This guy's ascending. And oh, this absolutely. is a trajectory where as more and more attention gets on him, he's just going to continue to rise and continue to rise. And when he goes to the combine and puts on a freaking show for people at the combine, it's not going to sound crazy that he's going to be a top 10 pick or a top five pick or the fourth overall pick. 
he's going to be warranted in being spoken about like that, like he quite honestly has been the entire time. So this is not a situation where Jermaine Johnson is getting pumped up because he's having a good senior bowl. Yes, that's part of it. People are being aware, but this is nothing new to the people who have seen his tape. This is nothing, anything more than what people who know what this guy is capable of have expected of him. I really thought that the guy I was going to be banging the table for this year was going to be George Karloftis. And I still love Karloftis. He's still my edge three. uh, And I think he's an easily top 10 type of player, no doubt about it. But I am a Jermaine Johnson fan through and through to the point where regardless of what team this guy goes to in the league, I'm going to be a fan because he is that good, that talented, and he's been that slept on for so long. And he's going to be a guy that I was going to be higher on before anybody else. Matt, I'm glad you're right there with me. He's a stud, and I really hope he becomes a Jet. Absolutely. I mean, maybe like a month ago, we're, we were probably saying, crap, you know what? Pick four kind of sucks. Right now, yeah. there's nobody of, valuable, of value that really fits what we want there. People are really going on about, hey, let's just take a safety. Let's just... Let's just go mm-hmm. that route, and then yep. you know what? It now take a center. It's, it's kind yeah, exact. Take a center. Let's take Lindenbaum. But now I feel like we're kind of settling in, and now we realize we have this option. Now let's blow it up a little bit. Let's say his stock really takes off, and now a lot of teams want to trade up for him. Do you take that? Who who's making the call? I think that is the deciding factor because if I am. If I am trading out of Jermaine Johnson, then I need to guarantee myself at worst Kingsley Enigbari, who I think has a chance to go late first. I think there mm-hmm. is a, a chance that he sneaks in at the back end between 28 and 32, and the Jets don't pick again until 35. So if there is going to be guys that go, because I think there's going to be a little bit of a, of a skip in when the edges are taken, you're going to have the four guys at the top being. Thibodeau, Hutchinson, uh, how the media views them, not how I view them, but Thibodeau, Hutchinson, uh, Johnson, and Karloftis, those guys are going to go likely top 15 at worst. And then you're going to have the back end of the first round. Maybe my Jay Sanders sneaks in. He's having a good senior bowl. He has a good combine that can continue. Maybe Kingsley Anigbari sneaks in. Maybe. But there's not a lot of guys left after those top four to where I think if you need an edge rusher and you're a team at the back end of the first round, you're going to take them early because the best guys are already gone. So if the team calls and they're saying that they're trading down and they want to come up for George Car- uh, for Jermaine Johnson, then I need it to be somebody within the top 15. Okay. Well, that would, that would be a huge jump too. <laughs> it would to go from four to 15 It would. Uh, in that range. That, that would be a big jump and we would need to get paid. Uh, rightfully two, so. Two ones minimum. Two ones. I'll take it. And you know what? Then maybe we can trade back from 10 as well because maybe uh, it doesn't look like the quarterback class is really shaping up to be uh, anything worth trading up to four for, but maybe it's worth trading up to 10 for. So I'm all That is a possibility. That is a possibility. I'm still holding on to hope that, that one of these quarterbacks is going to end up rising, and maybe it's Malik Willis. I thought it might have been Desmond Ritter because I thought he was the most complete guy, but it seems like he's been struggling a little bit this week. But Malik Willis has been playing really well. I, I'm still holding out hope that it, it's still a possibility because as we just saw with the announcement of Tom Brady's retirement, uh, pause for the sound of your hearing of all of New York cheering, but <laughs> Tom Brady retired. That opens another team with a hole at quarterback. And the Bucks are going to say what they're always going to say and say they're comfortable with Kyle Trask and, and they're going to see where things go, but they're going to be in the quarterback market. Big Ben just retired. The Steelers, again, with their team speak, said they're uh, comfortable with Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. Okay, sure. I don't believe that for a second. So there's going to be a handful of teams that need quarterbacks. And this is a situation where the teams that need quarterbacks outweigh how many quarterbacks are available. So that makes the ones that are available and the ability to acquire them that much more valuable. So it might be a situation where does Malik Willis have any right going fourth overall? No, no, I don't think he does. But is there a chance that a team trades up for him because they're the Pittsburgh Steelers? and they don't think that he'll be available when they pick, and they fully believe that they can develop him, all it takes is one team to fall in love. And if you're going to have the San Francisco 49ers just a year ago prove that you can trade three number one picks 
to get from 12 to three to get the guy that you absolutely love that you need when there was no guarantee that Trey Lance was going with the third pick. There was nothing that said that the Dolphins were potentially going to take a quarterback at that time. So if you're in this situation and you're the Jets, hold out hope because we don't know what's going to happen with free agency. We don't know what's going to happen with the draft. We don't know what dominoes are going to move. And I saw something, I forget who said this on Twitter, but I saw something about this today. It was a really good point where everyone's saying, oh, well, teams can go out and get Aaron Rodgers or teams could go out and get Russell Wilson or something like that. Okay. So that then, a hole, then. So then the Packers or Seahawks might then need quarterbacks too, mm-hmm. because what if yeah. Jordan Love isn't the guy? And I liked Jordan Love coming out. And again, my quarterback grades continue to be terrible, but I, what if he isn't? And the Seahawks have nobody behind Russell Wilson. So those are, again, situations where it's like, okay, so if one of those guys leaves, you're still, that doesn't fill a hole that just creates a new one. The need is there. And as we talked about earlier in this episode, you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback to be able to compete if you want to be a successful team that is fighting for a Super Bowl championship. The Bengals would not be playing in the Super Bowl if it was not for Joe Burrow more than anybody else. As good as their talent is in skill talent, as good as some of their players on defense are, if it was not for Joe Burrow, they wouldn't be there. The Rams are in the Super Bowl this year because Matthew Stafford is their quarterback. They couldn't do it with Jared Goff. Their offense was basically the same outside of that. So this is what we're seeing. You need that quarterback, and teams know that. So I don't think it's out of the question. And until we get to the actual draft until we get a week or so away when we're pretty common, uh, pretty cemented in the rumors that we're hearing. We shouldn't hear too many surprises. I'm going to believe that there's a chance that a team trades up to four because they need to make sure that they get their guy. And if that means going all the way up to do it, and that's what you have to do. Yep. Uh, not to quote dumb and dumber too much, but you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance I am. I am. I am saying there is still a chance. Uh, until then, I think that does it for this week. This has been a good show. I'm very excited for the future of the offseason. A little bit scared, uh, to be quite honest, with the news of Becton and Fant to see how that progresses. But I'm confident that the Jets have still have smart people in the building running the operation, and they have a ton of ammo to where they have some room to, even if some moves don't pan out, they have enough throws at the dartboard that some of them should land anyway. I'm excited for the offseason. I'm excited to see where things go. But until then, I think that does it. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and drop your handle, and then we will call this a day. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. Follow me at Andrew Golden underscore 17 and follow our other co-host at Vitor Piva M. We all miss him. We all love him. I keep saying it until uh, the end of time because we love him, Miss Vitor. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.